Welcome to Innovation Illuminated, a podcast where guest entrepreneurs and experts in the field of business share their experiences and knowledge learned through their journey in the business world. I am your host, Hunter Pirock, and similar to these guests, I am also an entrepreneur. Today's guest is Tyler Vandermolen. Tyler is the owner of Dairyland Property Management. Dairyland Property Management is a lawn care business specializing in weed control and fertilization. Tyler started out at a business called Weedman Lawn Care. At Weedman, he worked as a sales rep, along with being a supervisor and actually doing the applications. This made him very knowledgeable in the field, and eventually he chose to branch out and start his own business, doing a similar thing to Weedman. He walks through how these experiences at Weedman really shaped him and helped him become the businessman that he is today. Sadly, it is like 20 degrees in Wisconsin right now, so we are unable to film on the job site like I would, but we are filming in the studio in the basement here today. That will shield us some warmth because it's 20 degrees outside, like I said. So I hope you guys enjoy this one, and thanks for tuning in to Innovation Illuminated. Uh, I'm Tyler Vandermullen. I met Hunter way back in the day in youth baseball, and uh, I would say that we were both just examples of Um, just tried it and true entrepreneurs and spirit from the beginning. Um, You know, just starting from when we hung out, the things that we did, and we're always creating stuff, making jumps for uh, his snowboard. And uh, we actually built some longboards together at my grandfather's wood shop. So we always had that spirit. Um, My first job was uh, actually being a grunt laborer for a masonry company, I could walk there when I was 15. Really? Um, so I walked across the street, across Marcy Road, um, and this guy had this concrete business, concrete excavating. Um, he built a lot of foundations for like additions, pretty much anything with concrete and grading and all that stuff. So okay. I got an early on experience of what it's like to be at the bottom of the ladder yeah um, to use your body to work um, and then i guess prior to that if you would count it as a job um, i mowed lawns in the neighborhood um and i you know in the neighborhood and then my grandmother's neighborhood so i you know i would be in charge of my own schedule and i was um i learned at a young age that people were depending on me and that i had to, to uh you know take initiative and make sure that the things were done without somebody to tell me to do it yeah and that transitions kind of into your first job, or not first job, but um, first job kind of in the industry with Weed Man. So you right. want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I did that lawn mowing uh, for several years and really all through high school, I just kept doing that. I did that labor um, for that concrete company. And then I segued into like the service industry, um, actually first at uh, Fleet Farm right here in Germantown. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah, that. Okay. I worked there um, junior year of high school, um, and that was like just retail sales, dealing with customers, um, learning how to problem solve, all the basics. Of, I think retail is a good spot to start for a, a young, a yeah. young kid growing up. Um, but I segued into Weed Man Lawn Care, which was like one of my first, I would say, really important jobs. Right. Um, where I actually saw it uh, on somebody's Snapchat story at school, and they were looking for um, door-to-door salesmen. They were going to pay uh, you bonuses per sale. And I said, really? well, that sounds awesome. You, set, you pick yeah. your own schedule. 
um, every day, get to work with your friends. So I went in there uh, my junior year of high school, and um, that was probably a, a big life altering um, without me even knowing it, one of the things that would alter my life forever yeah. as far as um, gaining confidence in myself as an individual, my sales ability and learning, um, I would say a great a great boost and a great start of all the things that I know now came from making that decision. Okay. Yeah. And uh, could could we get like a good experience or funny uh, time like where you went to a door or something like that? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the biggest thing I learned in that job uh, being a door-to-door salesman was how to deal with, um, with how to rebuttal people, how to deal with being told no, rejection, yeah. you know, and it, it was a, a core principle that um, I still believe is like applicable every day of a, a person's natural life, um, but especially a, a businessman, an entrepreneur, you're going to deal with a lot of rejection and how you handle that is going to, um, uh, it's going to, it's going to um, unfold how, like how successful you are, how, how you can handle that rejection right? and how you can turn that into positive energy and to keep pushing forward. So um, I'd say one of my, my funniest moments or whatever is, like I said, you get rejected a lot. So yeah. you're going out to doors and, um, we actually had some instances, there's some crazy people out there and you never know who you're going to run into, but I've met, um, I've met people that were like uh, really successful. I mean, I've met people that were like ex blues coaches and the really? NHL and just a, a lot of interesting people. Um, that kind of gave you the time of day, but I've also had the door slammed on me. I've had people um, come outside with a knife. I've had people oh, come, come with guns. <laughs> you know, you just never know where you are and who you're yeah. dealing with. So um, those were kind of the things that were uh, not on the job description. Right. Yeah. And what were you selling for Weedman? Yeah. So we would go door to door and we would sell um, fertilizer and weed control programs and then anything that had to do with lawn maintenance. Okay. So um, our principal job was to get these people to, to sign up for a free estimate. And then we had the trained professional salesman who would call them and sell the programs. So it was a brilliant, it's a brilliant marketing scheme. Um, it's and personally, I think door-to-door sales is one of the most um, effective ways to market and it, it still will be. And it, I think a lot of companies will go away from it, but they shouldn't. Um, because you know, if you do a lot of reading on it, a lot of billionaires were created through that industry. Their first jobs were, were, were being rejected going door to door. So I think it's a very important position. So we would go door to door and just, um, try to get people to sign up for a free estimate. And they were using kind of our, our younger, friendlier faces to get a higher percentage of, of yeses rather than having an old mangly bearded guy yeah. in his 40s come up to your door who, who are you more right. um, prone to say yes to yeah so i thought that was a genius marketing plan that is interesting and, you know okay so most of them were high schoolers that you worked with yeah pr- pretty much all high schoolers after school part-time from okay. like four to four to eight something like that okay you did know? they have like company vehicles for you to use too yeah so we had uh three company vehicles and the supervisors would take us out um, to the doors and it was all structured and organized and planned. And, you know, we knew what neighborhoods we were knocking and we were targeting about 60 to a hundred knocks a night. Okay. Usually out of that, somebody that was really good was getting about um, a 30% contact rate and then closing maybe, maybe, you know, six or eight of those leads, getting them to sign up for that free phone call with that estimate. Okay. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. And then that kind of segues you into creating your own business. That's very similar to Weedman's. So yes. can we talk about that? Yeah. So that, that takes quite a bit of detail. Um, should I fill you in on the story of kind of how I progressed with that company first? Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. Cause it's not like I just started knocking on the doors and then immediately right. became this mogul of a businessman. Yeah. It took time. It took dedication. And, um, so my trajectory with that company, as soon as I got into that role, I, I really wasn't sure what to think about it at first. I wasn't always a super confident, outgoing, um, well-spoken young man. You know, I was always very respectful and followed the principles that my parents taught me. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that I was a trident, um, incredible businessman yet. Mm -hmm. So um, I wasn't sure what I thought about that job at first, but it, it just, it was enjoyable because I kind of, I learned to like the challenge of, of trying to get better. And I saw the people ahead of me who were seniors at the time that had been doing it for two or three years. And I, I wanted to surpass these people. I've always had that competitive spirit where either I'm going to prove you wrong or I'm going to show you um, how I'm going to be the best. Okay. So I continued through, I was just kind of an average employee my junior year, my senior year of high school of high school. Yes. Okay. And my senior year is when I started to really take off. Um, cause all the seniors were gone. It was a fresh slate. And yeah. I was like, this is my year. I'm going to take this over and I'm going to be the best in this office. So I went into it with that mindset and, um, you know, I really put in the extra work. I was um, in there early and I was always communicating with my boss, which I would say is pretty rare for a high schooler to really care about their job. Yeah. And were but, you still door knocking at the time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, the senior year of high school, I was undoubtedly the best door knocker there. Um, it, it, you know, based on the facts, I was closing at probably 40 or 50%. And I had 40 door to door um, sales. So like once your leads were converted by the salesman, you got a sale and you got to pay a bonus on it. Okay. So I had 40 door to door sales that year. And that was a company record in 50 years of franchise history. Wow. Awesome. So it was uh, quite a feat. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, at that point, um, then I think another instrumental part in your learning as a, as a professional and especially uh, moving into the entrepreneurial sphere is then understanding your value. And, and that's not, in a cocky way or, um, you know, an over sell, uh, an over, um, emphasis on yourself. It's just understanding the value that you provide. And yeah. that's just an honest, honest thing. Right. So at that point I had figured, okay, I'm starting to get this. Now they're using videos of, of my pitch to train other people. Oh, really? Clearly. Yes. Clearly I'm an important asset to this business. Yeah. So I asked for more responsibility, you know? So, um, Going into college, I decided to go to UW-Waukesha, which mm -hmm. was just a local two-year college. Okay. Um, and I asked for greater responsibility. I asked to be a supervisor. And at that time, I would have been the youngest person to ever carry that role. So um, they granted me that role. So basically, at that point, I had leveled up to the next level where you were responsible for the door knockers. You took them out on the routes. You trained them. Um, and you were responsible for your team or your van um, the production of that van, you were responsible for that. Okay. So that was um, the next, I guess, step in that profession, right? Yeah. And then I took that to a different level because this goes back to what I was saying about our um, innovation and our, our brains, the way that our brains have always worked, is that I was like, how can I 
and I was mo I was very motivated by money at the time too, right? And it okay. was like, how can I make more money? How yeah. can I make this job more efficient? And that's kind of where my brain was. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, I took the position and kind of revolutionized it. And I said, at up until that point, the supervisor would would take the guys out. He would get them on their routes, drop them off, and he would kind of just sit in the van and monitor this on the on the tablet, which kind of gave us statistics and tracked how many knocks they were getting okay. and then he would go give them breaks and um maybe some sales coaching and and help them pitch if they're doing bad out there but i i looked at it in the way of like how can i maximize this time that i have i can do all that and i can go knock on 10 doors too mm -hmm. so then i started to knock on doors myself i would pick out some courts where i could easily get through those houses quicker so that i wasn't um endangering the other aspect of my job because my my main job was to supervise these kids so i'm like how can i do that not endanger um the possibility of not doing that to the fullest potential but then also be more productive so i decided to start knocking these courts and then it's like you just get so um you get so into that pitch and you get so perfected on it where I could go to the court, I could knock on it. If like three out of the five people answered, I could pretty much get all three of them to sign up for a quote. Okay. So I just took it to that next level. Um, and I was hitting all my goals weekly. You were kind of on a payment tier. So um, I guess I should have said when I started out knocking, I was paid 10 bucks an hour, 10 bucks a sale. Okay. When I got up to the supervisor, it was 13 as a base. If you hit your goals, you'd be bumped up to 15. And if you exceeded the goals, you'd be up to 17. So if you're, you know, a college kid making 17 bucks an hour plus commission, yeah. you're doing great. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not going to find a job like that really much anywhere yeah. else. With the commission aspect too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was teaching you to, your hard work actually amounts to something versus right. a lot of jobs where like, if you work harder than everybody else, that doesn't mean anything. You're not rewarded. You. No. Yeah. Right. So I think, um. At that point, of course, I was motivated to try to hit the $17 an hour and yeah. get as many commissions as I could because I'm like, I'm going to go get this money. Um, and so that was just just a great uh, time period of learning and development and growth and um, kind of, once again, a lot of the principles of entrepreneurship I was learning without really knowing at that time. So um, after I started doing that, it was proven successful. Branches all over the country started to copy exactly what I was doing. They were oh, wow. seeing what okay. I was doing. And I started to turn that into a status quo. It started to become expected from the supervisor. Yeah. So I changed that position too. So okay. I, I mean, I'm in two, two, three years into this as a young employee and I've already changed a business. Right. I that's think crazy. that's incredible. Yeah. yeah that's um, awesome. So to segue more through college, I just did the two year degree. Um, I actually segued into like the actual treatment of the lawns because the marketing season was from the dead of the winter. So January through um, like May, once okay. you hit May, people stop buying lawn care programs. Yeah. It, they've already, they're set. They're either going to do it themselves or they're going to do it with another company. And the other company's been there two, three times already. Mm. So we would stop then. And it's like, well, I don't want to go several months without income, even though I love this job. Right. So that's when I got into the treatment of the lawns. So that, you know, was just another aspect of the business, learning um, a 360 of that business, you know, from from the sales to the management of the people, now to the actual treatments, the science behind it, how it works. 
yeah. all that. So you, you had to get a certification through Madison, um, or excuse me, in Madison through like the Department of Agriculture to okay. get your license to be able to use the pesticides. Okay. So I had to take that test and then um, we would, it, it was everything, what I liked about Weed Man, it was very formulated. Everything was formulated. So from their door knocking and all of it's calculated and formulated and the same goes for their treatments. They give you routes, you follow the routes, the tablet tracks it for you. Yeah. You go and treat the lawns, you post the flags, you talk to engage with the customers and um, you're following a formula. So you're, you're kind of on your own, you're in the truck by yourself. Yeah. You're free to do your job and you can finish it as fast or as slow as you want, as long as you're doing quality work. But it was structured enough to that you can pretty much drop anybody into the system and they would have guidance and know, you know, that they're not completely lost. Okay. So it's super yeah. cookie cutter. Yeah, I would These say people have this job. These people have this job and it yeah. really was outlined perfect for you. Like you're going to use this amount on this lawn, right? You're going to this yes. lawn to this lawn to this lawn. Yeah. It's all okay. based on science. Right. Yeah. So I learned what I learned a lot from treating the lawns was like, wow, these products are amazing. That was my biggest takeaway from it. Like, okay. it gave you a lot of confidence at the door selling the product when you get to see what the product actually does. Right. So that's why I recommend to any young entrepreneurs or um, anybody looking to start a business is to really to be a student of the game, to learn as much as you can. Your learning doesn't stop when your education stops. It just it's just starting. Mm -hmm. Because the more you learn and the more well-educated you are, um, the the greater that your results are going to be because you're going to truly know what you're selling. Right. So that was my biggest takeaway from doing the lawns was, um, wow, like these products that I'm selling, they sell themselves. They, yeah. they are the best products in this industry. And there's no question that that's why the company I was working for was touted as the best company in the industry. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's from everything, the professionalism of how we handle things and the products that we used. Okay. And, um, I just want to get like a timeline. So you're doing, yeah. you were doing the winters, you were doing the door knocking yep. and supervising. Yep. And then in the summers is when you do the application is when I started to learn the application. Okay. Yeah, so you're so. going a full round your cycle with weed man. Yes. Okay. And I was probably nine. We're talking like 19 years old at this time. So okay. Like, and how long did you do the full year round? Um, well, I guess years? I started 2017 was my first door knocking. So 2017 and 2018, I was just door knocking as a okay. part time high school student. In high school. Yes. Once I got to college is when I started to do the treatments, um, year round, like even a little bit with classes too. I could go do routes yeah. and then go to classes after yeah. or vice versa. Okay. Um, so that was like 2019, uh, part of 2020 as well. Okay. And you yeah. lived at home. So you could, so you're able to I kept living this. at home. I was doing all this from home at the start. Yeah. Okay. I did move out eventually, but I was able to just stay with weed man because they were out in Madison as well. Okay. Yeah. Can we go, um, can we touch base on that certification a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. How long, like the timeline was like, did you have to take classes? What was the prep work for it? It's a great question. So that certification specifically is um, I wouldn't say it's too challenging to attain. Okay. Um, there were some classes online. I think you did kind of uh, at your leisure and then you just went to take the exam. So okay. it just had to do with getting through some of the, the coursework and then uh, you're studying. So it, that's probably the easiest um, license or certification I've ever 
uh, accumulated or attained. Yeah. Yeah. And was it for like overall any pesticide or is it like only for if you're doing like spraying or yeah, like granular? That's a great question. So it's just a license in the state of Wisconsin and it's, it's, it's a blanket of pretty much any pesticide. Um, it does not include like aquatic pesticides. There's all mm, different types okay. of license. So like mosquitoes, spraying mosquitoes mosquito reduction is actually a mosquito and aquatic license okay so they classify all this by what you're doing i guess you know yeah you, you actually don't need a license to do fertilizer okay um anybody can do fertilizer gotcha yeah. okay okay and then let's um move into so you started your own business doing the same yeah. similar thing right so what made you want to branch off leaving weed man to start your own that's a great question um and that's something that's a million dollar question yeah right? uh something that definitely changed my life and forged the path that i've uh taken and where i am today yeah and i'm so, sure it's it's sorry to interrupt yeah but it's it's a lot different because at weed man you had the cut cookie cutter cut out of what you right. need to do right and then you're going on your own where it's like all of a sudden you need to take on all these tasks it's all your responsibility now right yeah so um if I kind of continue on where I was, um, at one point I was wanting to pursue a bachelor's degree at Madison. That was my dream as a kid. And, um, so I had went to that two-year school and you were supposed to have guaranteed admission into the bigger schools, the four-year schools. Okay. Um, so my dream was to go to Madison. I wanted to get a business degree there and I signed a lease there, um, right before COVID and, I think they sent um, all of their um, employees home for the first time pretty much in like human history was when people started to work from home Yeah, as a new norm. I'm sure there were companies doing it before, but very, really not common. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and part of that, I did not get into the school, but I had already signed a lease because you have to sign the lease about a year in advance uh-huh. in order to secure a spot. Yeah. So that's, that's when I moved to Madison um, because at that point... I, you know, I was chasing the dream, but the dream wasn't realized to continue schooling. So um, that's like when I said I kind of uh, pivoted to the Weed Man Madison. There I did, um, you know, more treatment of the lawns. And when that season finally ended, instead of going back to door to door, because, you know, now I'm living on my own. I need to, the door to door was great income, but once you're living on your own, you, you might need a, a higher salary than that, mm-hmm. if I could explain it that way. Right. So, okay. So then I got into the, actual sales, the remote sales of the people that were selling those leads that I used to get. So now I'm really coming 360 um, because I had door knocked, managed kids. I had been the assistant marketing manager at one point. So I was learning like the marketing aspect of the company. Yeah. Then I learned the treatment and then I finally finished it off with actually the sales and yeah, being on the dialer, taking probably hundreds of calls a day. The dialer would just keep ringing really? until somebody picked up because we had hundreds of leads, okay. hundreds of leads. And we were calling um, pretty much all throughout the Midwest and Texas. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't just focused on the Madison area. No. I mean, you had to learn how to sell in Texas, how to sell in Boise, Idaho, how to sell in Colorado. They're all a little bit different. They have different programs, but it was all natural to me because I had treated the lawns. I understood the process. It was only a little bit different in some of those other places. So, um, that was the last position I held there. Um, I had asked for, as you've seen the common, um, trend here is I kept asking for more responsibility and every time I proved myself right. Like I wanted to back it up with the results that I provided Mm -hmm. and I did. 
So I felt like I could keep asking for more responsibility. And I, and that's exactly what I did. So, um, I made it known to some of the higher ups and I, I had had multiple meetings with some of the higher up people, um, CEOs and Madison and other important people in that business. And I was looking for an opportunity to, um, become a marketing manager or to help start or set up a new branch. And okay. I, I felt like I was ready for that opportunity. And I think the company, um, potentially wasn't ready to give me that opportunity, especially at my age being at 19, 20 years old, yeah. which is understandable. Um, mm -hmm. it's definitely a big leap from where I was, but, um, I had believed that I had proven myself worthy of that. So yeah. I was asking for this next step and I was promised that, and it just didn't feel like it was coming. Um, so at that point I had started to, uh, venture into, you know, at least looking for other jobs. Cause I was like, I'm, I don't really think I want to go back to school. I was pretty displeased with how that all unfolded. Once again, I, you know, I, I'm based off of promises. If you promise mm -hmm. something, you better deliver. So um, I just don't react good to things that are promised. And then if somebody doesn't hold their end of the bargain, and that's kind of how I felt about the formal education is like, um, it was just a change in mindset overall of like, this is what we're supposed to do in society. And it doesn't seem like this is my path. And I think, you know, I'm a believer in God and I just don't think that that was my path. Um, it clearly didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And I just had a bad taste in my mouth about like the formal education system. And I was starting to really learn like self-education and what that can do for you. Yeah. Um, so at that, that was kind of my breaking point of where I didn't get into the school of my dreams. I'm not being provided the opportunities I want, I'm going to create something on my own. And that's when that creativity I touched on in the beginning really started to take over. Yeah. So to answer your question, it was at that moment where um, it's kind of like that's, you might relate to this, that scary moment as an entrepreneur where you get this idea mm -hmm. and there's nobody to tell you whether or not it's going to work. You just got to jump in and try it. Yeah. And that's that was that infinite moment. Um, so I decided to kind of change my mindset. I was um, kind of developing a list of people that I had worked with, um, whether I treated their lawns or I sold them programs, um, all people that I had interacted with and trusted me, knew me, understood me, um, knew my work, my work ethic. Mm -hmm. And I compiled a list of all these people. And um, what I was actually doing was working with Weed Man every day doing my sales, I would log off the dialer and then I would call my own list of people. Oh, really? And that's how I started to grow up from the beginning. And a lot of these people were Weed Man customers. I looked into the legality of everything. I called lawyers. I talked to the right people. And um, marketing to people is is completely free trade. I mean, none of these people were in contracts. Um, so there was nothing wrong about what I was doing. And Interesting. Yeah. So I remember um, having a day like right when the technician season ended um, and I got into the remote sales and I was starting to get that idea in my head that, hey, I want to do my own thing here. I'm not happy with this anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not being taken as serious as I want to be. Um, I went to the bank, Chase Bank in Madison, and I came in there as a 19 year old and said, mm -hmm. I want to start a business. Yeah. How do I start a business bank account? And I remember the look on their faces. They were kind of puzzled by like me asking to do so because I'm sure that's not a question that they hear every day. Yeah. So they walked me through the steps of that, set that up. Um, 
set up my first merchant account, which allowed me to take credit cards, process credit cards to collect collect money from from these clients. Okay. Um, so that that's a topic we'll maybe touch on later. Um, like the tr- or the the business concepts that I say are like the most important is like the first thing you need to establish is how do I get paid? How yeah. do I get money in? That's business right there. So um, set that up. And then I started to make these calls every night after work. So I was working a full shift and then I would work until I got tired. I'd go to the gym, make dinner, go to bed and repeat the cycle. And I did that for months. And this is when you're still in Madison? Yeah. So this okay. was a, this was like the biggest grind stage of my life probably Yeah. was this period of life. And I had all the distractions and every reason to be out partying and doing stuff. And I was so focused and I was so dead set on creating this company that nothing around me could ever um stop me from from doing that yeah awesome i love it can we take a step back and um walk through so did you set up like an llc or so prior yeah. to before going to the bank that's a good question so now i went to the bank right away okay my whole that first, was your first step that was my first thing and my whole first year of business i was technically a sole proprietor so i okay. had all the the liability and the risk for people listening that's what that means. All that personal liability was under my personal name. I didn't have a, a blanket of protection. Yeah. So for the listeners, yeah. um, that means that he didn't set up an LLC or S Corp or anything. It was no paperwork, just sole proprietor. He set up the bank account and then did business with no legal protection for the first year. Correct. Yes. And thanks for that clarification, because I think if I look back, um, was that risky? Yes, because I was personally liable. Yeah. But I think... Um, principles of business wise, that was the right thing to do. I didn't lease an office. I didn't buy any vehicles. I didn't. My first step in creating a business was not spending money. It was figuring out how to get money in. So that's one of the most important um, lessons I could teach to the audience. Um, any, Any young entrepreneur looking for an opportunity to start a business, start with the fact of how can I build this as cheaply as possible and figure out how to get money in, how to get people to trust me first? And then I can worry worry about the systems. Once I have money, I can figure out the systems. Yeah. So that's how I started. And I just started to slowly build that up until the point where I felt comfortable that I had enough business to try this out. Um, so then I put in my two weeks. I went on a nice uh, vacation to, to Miami with some <laughs> of my friends, cleared my head, and yeah. got started. Okay. Uh, and I, you know, I actually ended up moving home to get started. And I know you started your business from home. Yeah, um, totally. That's a topic that we could just brush on. Um, and I would actually would ask you a question. Yeah, go for that. it. But I think starting it at home was one of the key reasons why I succeeded. Yeah. I don't think, um, or I should say, I don't know how successful that I could have been doing it on you know, on my own at my own place with my own liabilities and rent to pay and all that. So yeah. how would you um, describe the opportunity of starting it at your own home? Like um, how would you describe how that impacted your ability to succeed? I mean, I think it's huge because there's so much less expenses that you have. You're right. talking about saving money and frugality. Right. Um, starting my business, I was super frugal. We had the lawnmower. Um, I'm talking about uh, lawnmowing business I started. Yeah, we had the lawnmower, we had a trailer, we had the trimmer, we had the backpack blower. So it was pretty much just like I jumped for it right you away. Just jumped right in. Yeah, yeah. So living at home gives you like a whole, especially if you have the stuff to start the business, is game changer because then you have to go buy stuff. Right. You're living at home. 
especially if you have a supportive family, like I know my family is and yours is too, exactly. where your um, parents are making dinner sometimes and supporting you throughout. If you need something, like they're going to come help you. If something right. breaks on your mower, they're going to come help you. Right. Like stuff like that. So I think it's a huge opportunity instead of li- living away where you got, it's just yeah, a whole different coming. game. Yeah. yeah. You got bills yeah. coming. Yeah. And I, I still live at home, but I know once you move out, it's a whole different game. Right. You got insurance, you've got rent to pay. Right. And I feel like you can't, you can, but you can't be as risky when you're yeah. living at home. You like, can take you can be, unlimited yeah. risks. You can yeah. be so risky. Right. And I think that uh, goes to attest to like um, family is a big part of it too. And we'll probably touch on that later a little yeah. bit more, but having a supportive family and, a, and people that support you does matter. Totally. Um, somebody that doesn't have that, it's, it's always going to be tougher for you. You know, having that family, we're so um, we're so lucky that we were granted the opportunity to attempt to attempt this great journey of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And like we both just explained, it might have not been possible had we had had to do that on our own completely. Yeah. So I, t- I touched on um, how I started the business. We had right. all the equipment. So I really had no upfront barrier to entry costs. Right. What were your costs with starting your fertilizer business. That's a good question. I'd already purchased a, a Chevy Tahoe um, SUV. So prior to the business. Prior to the business. Okay. Yeah, when I was still in college. Um, so I already, I didn't have to go buy or finance a vehicle. I already owned the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did have to, actually the first year, now that we're going to blast to pass, <laughs> um, I actually borrowed a trailer really? from my grandfather and I borrowed an ATV. Um, and that's how I did a lot of treatments. So okay. I would, I had, um, I had to purchase a fertilizer cart, which is more expensive than you think it is. It's five hundred fifty dollars. I think I paid for it. Okay, and is that push? That's what you push it by hand. Okay. Yeah, like a grunt. Yeah, like going back to the grunt labor. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I treated all my lawns that way, whether they were um, three thousand square feet. So for the audience, that would be like a small little city lot, okay. or a hundred thousand square feet, which could be. Um, t- two acres. Yeah, you know, I push all those lawns wow, with the fertilizer, okay. so I got real healthy, real fit. Um, but I I purchased that fertilizer bin. That was an upfront expense, and I did these things in increments. So like the first application round was the fertilizer round. So I didn't go buy out all the equipment. I went out and bought the one thing I needed. I bought the fertilizer cart and I bought the fertilizer, mm-hmm. and I went and I did the route. Um, and at that point I actually didn't even have like company merchandise. I had nothing yet. I was yeah. just wearing, um, street clothes. So I had sold all the programs. I had collected some prepayments some people that really believed in me, obviously for a discount for yeah. the prepayment. Um, and then I had con or not contracted, but mutually agreed to provide service to the others as uh, on a pay per go sort of a schedule. So every application I did, as soon as the application was finished, then I charged them, you know, at the end of the day, I came home and I billed all those people. So they were, you know, they were taking, I guess, um, the way I prescribed it to them, less of a risk. I got to come out and do the work first before I get paid. Yeah. So I bought everything in increments. I came out for that first round, bought the fertilizer cart, bought the fertilizer, finished that round. Now I've got money. Now I knew the next one was weed control. How am I going to figure this out? Well, I'm going to borrow the ATV, borrow the trailer, and um, I'm going to have to go buy a, a weed control tank that'll spray. So I bought a broadcast sprayer that goes on the back of an ATV, and you just wire it right up to the batteries. And then I you know, went up to my grandpa's house, took the trailer down, took the ATV down, 
and then built this little sprayer, put it on the thing, and then bought the weed control. So then, okay. so then I had invested in another piece of equipment that was going to make me money. Yeah. Um, and I just, at that point, would just continue on doing as much as I could, as frugally as I could. And then when I needed to buy new stuff, I would only buy new stuff when I needed it. For instance, like um, mosquitoes was like the next thing that started in May. So yeah. then I went out and bought the mosquito fogger and you just start to accumulate the stuff over time. So that was the best way to invest initially and to get the, the, uh, the products that you need to be successful. Um, in my experience, I would always recommend purchasing them as you go, get some money in before start to cash flow before you start to buy more things. Okay. And did you, um, did you budget for that stuff or were you just like, okay, I needed it. I'm getting it. Yeah. I mean, it kind of just was like, I need this to operate. So yeah. there's no choice. Okay. I think when I opened the business bank account, I took $2,000 of my personal money, just threw it in the account as a starter. Okay. I was going to ask that too. Yeah. Yep. So I just threw $2,000 in there. I said, let's start this thing up. Got some money in on um, this prepayments and use some of that money for that fertilizer card and that, that initial materials that I had to buy, put it on credit. And then we just went out there and collected that money. Okay. Let's talk about um how you charge customers then that first year. I'm sure it's maybe changed from then. Yeah. But did you use like a program to charge credit cards? Did you only take checks, cash? What was the first year? It's a great question. So um that'll that'll hit another topic called uh, systemization, which is extremely important. As an entrepreneur, you will have no success if you don't have organization skills and the ability to create a system. So luckily for me, I had basically spent four year, five years at that prior company studying their systems. I mean, the right. whole time that I was succeeding for that company, I wasn't only finding a way to put money in my pocket, I was learning. And that's the most, um, literally the most important concept of being an entrepreneur is continual learning. And I might beat a dead horse and say that over and over and over <laughs> in this podcast, because it's really that important. Yeah. The difference between me starting that business and a kid who maybe thinks about it, but never does it is the fact that I was learning the whole time. And I was really soaking up that knowledge. And that's how my brain works. And it's always worked that way. And um, that's what what makes it different. You know, it's like how you're wired and then not only like your learning, but then your execution and your work ethic. So um, to answer that question, I was luckily and, you know, lucky enough to learn kind of these systems and replicate them. So I was um, very close on price to them because yeah. I was using the exact same products. So I'm using the same products, but I'm cutting out all the middlemen. I don't need a salesman. I'm right. the salesman. Yeah. I don't need an applicator. I'm the applicator. So I was actually collecting probably more per lawn than some of these giant companies were yeah. because I was taking the middlemen out of everything. Right. So it was, it was just a great concept um, your first business should always be a cash flow positive business, something that's going to put a lot of money in your hands fast. Mm -hmm. You want quick money. Right. That's how you grow a business. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Um, I was listening to something the other day that was talking about startups um, and they're saying how quicker startups can move right. and how much easier they can adapt <laughs> to changes because they don't have the middlemen. Exactly. Like when you right. started, you were the only person. I was the so only guy. You yeah. can make the prices. You can adjust right. your prices. Right. You can bring it down if products came down. Like if fertilizer's costing less right now, then I oh, I'll drop the, the price twenty down. bucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, I, I like that you brought that up because I had ultimate flexibility and command and control over what was right. going on. So if I tried to sell a program at seventy five dollars a visit and a customer 
was not interested in that price, I had the ability to say, okay, what about 65? I could knock that price down to get them to give me an opportunity. And um, in a larger company, you might not uh, be afforded that opportunity to make up your own rules. You got to follow the system. Yeah. So um, if that answers your question, I priced it based off of square footage, just the way I had learned. Um, I even marketed similar, like obviously I reached back out to old relationships that I had formed. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my sales skill and it always has been this way has always been relationship sales. I've always been good at building relationships providing value and that's how I was able to get people to purchase things through me get them to use my service because you're selling yourself and I've always been great at that um you know obviously I'm great at the high pressure sales and and um handling multiple rejections and still getting the lead and persisting yeah. but that's not necessarily the way that I prefer to sell everybody has has their uh style right yeah so uh, I took their systems and replicated them and changed things that I didn't like and made things better that I didn't like. And then I kind of stuck with their guns on a lot of things. Okay. So it was all um, systemized and I had, you know, it was all based on square footage, how I charge people, the discounts for prepayments. And then obviously as you, as you want to grow and sell, if somebody doesn't like your aeration price, Knock the price down. You're still getting business. Yeah. I'd rather get business than lose business. Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting that you bring up um, that you learn the whole inside before going outside before of starting your own business. It. Before doing And I it. see that right. with a lot of uh, big entrepreneurs. They yeah. learn the whole inside and they see a flaw or they're getting fed up with the old business. Right. And then they start their own and they know everything about it already. Exactly. Which is so important. Yeah. I would highly recommend engaging in something that you have a holistic view on. Um, in starting a business that you have a lot of prior knowledge to, because it's going to be incredibly difficult to just start a business with zero knowledge. It's yeah. all about knowledge. And I think you could attest to that with yours too. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, every day is a whole new learning thing. Like, right. I can think of when I first started the business and, um, I'm learning stuff constantly. I'm trying to think of maybe like a fall cleanup or something when I'm doing it for the lawnmowing business. Um, when I started out, like the process I just didn't have down pat. Yeah. And now it's like, maybe it took me four hours and I was using the same equipment, but once you figure it out and you're learning, learning, learning and learning what people like too. Cause sometimes people be like, yeah, Oh, that edging look bad or whatever. I want it done this way. And yeah. then you start to learn these people's characteristics and what makes them happy and what keeps them as a happy customer. Right. And you start to, you, you have these people memorized and you understand, um, it's a lot of psychology too and how people mm-hmm. operate. And that's what you're touching on is you started to kind of learn your customers and that's just going to further propel your success. Yeah. And I mean, everybody's different. Like I, it's like some people like it done this way. Some <laughs> people like it done that way. Right. So you've just got to adapt and the, cu- the customer is always right in some scenarios, but sometimes they're yeah. wrong, but yeah. um, mo- most of the time they're right and you have to adapt and kind of curate your product to their liking. I agree. Yeah. And I like that statement too. I mean, the customer in the end of the day uh, might not be right. And obviously we're the professional and we're the mm-hmm. people that have studied the products we're using and understand our machinery. So we're going to have all the knowledge, but it's a service business and you're providing a service. So if somebody has a complaint or is upset with something in that case they're gonna have to be right you're gonna yeah. have to make an adjustment if you want to keep their business no totally right all right let's make a pivot here um we'll we'll get into so you, we talked about your first year in business 
let's get into like the second year where you started to form the LLC, maybe get insurance for the business and whatnot, and then kind of get the strategies down pat of um, charging customers, what software you're using for stuff, invoicing, all that stuff. So let's start. We'll take it back to like how you formed the LLC, we'll say. Okay, so I formed the LLC, I believe, just on the internet okay. um, through the government websites. Yep. And I had I had used the off-season as um, a learning time. It's just more learning, right? It never stops. And my goal after that first successful season was like, how can I – how can I better my systems? How can I protect myself now? Now I've successfully done this. I've done something that 90, what percent of people can't do? Yeah. What percent of entrepreneurs succeed? I'm not sure, but it I'm can't sure, be a lot. Yeah, but not, yeah. Most of them, I know a statistic is that um, I think only like three to 10% of them even profit the first okay. year. So profiting the first yeah. year was a huge win. And then it was, it was a, a re- um, a reemergence and a new focus on how can I explode? How can I get these systems right? Systems are so important. And then use that to propel my success. So I started it right on the internet. Um, and then I just, I, I started to build a website and started to get more uh, advertisement streams. And I looked into different ways that I could get advertisements. A lot of the ways that I grew was just referral basis. Okay. If you refer me a customer, I'll, I'll cut you a $25 discount on your next app. Yeah. So I got some people to send, send me, uh, referrals and throughout the season you grew because, um, I believe still to this day, the best way to grow is word of mouth. You do a totally. good job for somebody. They're going to advocate for advocate for you. Yeah. So, um, all of a lot of my growth is free. It's free. I just did a good job. And then those people open their mouth and I got more business and it just kind of webs and flows. Yeah. Um, but obviously if you were wanting to build a, a, a massive company, you're going to have to start spending some money. Yeah. So uh, personally, I've, I've never, my dream was never to start a massive lawn care company. It was kind of okay. something I fell my way into. Um, so I, yeah, I, I improved the system, started the LLC, started to get a website out there to get my name out there. Um, and then I just knew my focus was growth. I wanted to double or triple the size of what I had. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to take a step back. And yeah. um, just from my knowledge, I know that um, student entrepreneurs in Wisconsin, if you're in college, yeah. um, you can file an LLC for free. Yeah, I think that's what I took advantage of. And yeah, I think I actually sent it to you. I think you did. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I'll put that in the description. I'll make a note here to put in the description um, of how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Of how to do that. Because I know on some <clears> sites, like I've one of my business, I done like rocket lawyer or something. Yep. And I think they charge like $30 for a fee or something. Sure. Right. And all you have to do is just go to this um, one website that you can enter for free. Yeah. And we'll um, put that the in the description. Yeah. yeah. So that'll help a lot of entrepreneurs out. Just save a couple bucks right. at the beginning or whatnot. But um, I, I did that. I know. And I think I said to you, I think so yeah. Um, to do the student entrepreneur thing. Right. If you're in school, obviously I take mean, advantage you, of that. Yeah. It's free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take advantage of it. Even if you're not go thinking about going all in on a business an LLC is still just a good thing to have. Yeah, definitely. That's how you protect yourself. And yeah. um, that segues into a bunch of things for legal purposes. And, oh yeah. Um, but have I answered your question completely on kind of like the system I, or the systemization and how I started to get legal and all that insurance. Yeah. I did find it. Yeah. I found an uh, online insurance provider, which was perfect for me. 
um, I was able to turn my coverage on and off when I needed it. So my off seasons, I wasn't overpaying for insurance. I simply turned the insurance off and didn't hold the coverage anymore because I wasn't out there um, with any liability. Yeah. So that was really nice. And that's, that suited me well. It was just like a million dollar policy okay. and liability coverage. That first year, I never had a single other employee but myself. So that policy only covered myself. Do you know what business that was by chance? The insurance company? Um, I would have to look that up and we could possibly put that in uh, in the description okay. too. But that's a nice uh, online. It was, it was online only. I do know okay. that. Yeah, they don't have offices or anything like that. And what that. was the premium about? I, I think it was uh, $30 to $50 a month, something like okay. that. Really not crazy. Okay. Yeah. And did you have to put in um, for your business, obviously, that you're doing fertilizer? Because I'm sure that, I did. that, yeah. Yeah, it was specific to my industry. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Awesome. Um, so that's also a thing that I did. I'll just touch on mine um, for right. my lawn care business. Um, I think mine was a million dollar umbrella as well. Yeah. And I got through um, Rock for Mutual. I think it was called some local okay. one here. Sure. And I think it's $340 um, per year. Per year. Yeah. yeah. I think mine couldn't have been too much more than that either. Okay. So, somewhere right around that. Yeah. yeah. And I know I have to differentiate it because um, they were asking if I did fertilizer too. Or if you did snow or whatever. Right. right. And I just do lawn mowing. And at the time I was a single member. Right. So that <clears throat> obviously changed the rate. So let's um talk about kind of when you brought other people in to start helping you yeah. with applications Collaborating with you and yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. So I'll actually start start with that. So um my lawn care business is um just lawn care, not I guess not just lawn care, um lawn mowing. Yeah. So and Tyler was just doing fertilizer and at applications the at the time. Right. Yeah, so it worked out great cuz um a lot of my clients wanted some fertilizer done, but I don't do that. So Tyler came in, so we did a collaboration on a few of the lawns, which is great. So right. I do the mowing, Tyler does the fertilizer, and then we have it all covered. So I do the spring and fall cleanup. So they'd have a, a all full around package. Yeah, yeah, full package, which was hard at the beginning when I was getting customers because everybody wanted a full package. Exactly. And I didn't right. offer it. Right. And you should touch on the fact that with his business, it's not just an ordinary lawn mowing company. It's a luxury. Right. It's a luxury experience. So a lot of his clients are in uh, you know wealthier areas, um, great incomes. They are better off spending their money to have other people do the things um, that they don't need to do, and they can focus their time on their businesses or whatever they've got going on. So your clients are expecting a full package because they want everything taken care of. So that yeah. was probably a big a big thing that you had to um, solve the issue of how am I going to provide this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when I was first um, talking to some of my clients um, now, before they were clients, um, they were asking about like a full package deal because that's what they were on. They all had long right. companies already doing it. And um, so I just, they were almost asking me like, is it too much for you to try to cover in the right. first year? Like, right. can you handle this? And so that's where it was big when I brought you in and we kind of collaborated on both because then we had the all around everything covered for them. Right. And it was great to work with somebody where you can trust their work. And totally. that's when collaboration is um, really takes over is when you've got two separate entities that are just doing A plus work. You combine that together and the results are incredible. Right. I mean, the lawns that we had done together and we have done together are some of the best that you're going to find in this area. And yeah. You can confidently say that by the oh, results sure. and the reviews that we have. Um, that just sparked um, 
a thought uh, going back to like building the systems, but um, building the website and an online presence and being on Google, having like a Google presence. So like when you looked up Wisconsin Dairyland Property Management, something showed up was huge because then I could start to get reviews. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you've got 35 five-star reviews, you know, people look at your company in a different light than some, some young man with no internet presence. Um, right. And those reviews are huge. I mean, there's, uh, in many cases, I could provide examples of larger businesses, you know, multi-million dollar companies that are ran by people that are older than us, maybe boomers or of different generations where they're less tech savvy. And you've got like this million dollar company with five reviews. Yeah. And it's like you on paper look better than they do. Yeah. Um, so that's how powerful that that media presence. I've actually taken a lot of things from Hunter when it comes to like that social media presence and how he advertises is so important to getting you and and uh, getting and retaining business. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of my stuff. Um, I know you like to be that lean um, motto and um, low cost. A yep. lot of my stuff. Yep. I've tried a few times doing paid ads, and right. I don't think they've ever benefited me too much. Most of my stuff has been word of mouth or it's just posting it and seeing, letting people see the results. Exactly. So, I mean, you can result check, driven. Yeah, yeah. You can check us out. We're on Instagram. Um, Dairyland property management is Tyler's and turf Lake country's mine. So you can check out how we have our layout of the websites and um, on Instagram and stuff that we have like a bunch of pictures of the results, some right. before and afters, but all just pictures of the product. Of the product, of the result, of the service that we're promising and then providing and following through on. Um, a lot of this is just how you articulate yourself to the customer, um, how you treat them and um, your responsiveness. And we could get into that a little bit too about, you know, um, I texted all of the people on my route the day before the service was completed. And these are other systems I brought from Weedman. Okay. And I learned that this constant communication, you're never going to bother somebody by informing them on what's going on. Yeah. That's what they want. So I would, let's say I was doing a route in Muskego. I would contact you know all the people in that planned route 24 hours in advance to say, hey, tomorrow on this, on such date, I will be here to provide X treatment, whether it was fertilizer or weed control or mosquitoes. Um, and, um, and then I gave them directions on what to do. If it's fertilizer, there's no wait time. Enjoy your day. If it's weed control, please keep any pets or kids off the lawn for an hour. So that communication was huge. Um, and that's one of the big figures of why people decide to stay with you after you get their business is how you treat them as a person and as a customer. Yeah, for sure. As a service business, I'm thinking of some examples, um, <clears throat> For Law Moines, people want to know what day you're going to come. Absolutely. And, and they're counting on you. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, sometimes like um, you, I know you text. It's kind of different with fertilizer because sometimes yeah. there's like set rules like a dog can't be on it for like right. a, a day or whatever. Yeah, whatnot. obviously you don't have to avoid a freshly cut lawn. Yeah. In, in fact, we prefer that you go and enjoy it. Yeah, that. go yeah. enjoy it. Right. But um, yeah, so I, I usually do like this one house on Wednesdays. And so what, like it rained all day Wednesday or whatever. Sure. Right. And so I didn't come. And then they text me like, are you still going to come? What I should have done is text them and been like, I'm going to come tomorrow because it rained yes. or something. Right. But I so I need to work on that because at first I thought, it's kind of pestering them to like reach out. No, it's not. Right. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. People just want to be in the loop. And if something's, I know that we built up a relationship with that we're trustworthy and pe people right. are, people know we're still going to show up Yes. either way, right. but it's still just good to let them know, especially for a service business. 
when you're going to be there. Yeah. What's the result going to look like? And also before you commit to a contract with somebody, make sure that they know exactly what they're getting. Exactly. Yeah. You can't stress that more. And actually the, the uh, event that he just explained where they asked him if he was coming in a rainstorm is just a testament to the character of the hunter that they know. Mm-hmm. They count on you. They know that you're going to be there when you say you are because you always have been and you've been consistent with that to the point where they think you might come in a rainstorm. Right, which is crazy. When I get texts <laughs> like that, I can't help but laugh and smile yeah. because I'm like, these people really know what I'm about. And um, yeah, so that was a positive lesson for you and it didn't harm anything, but it yeah. was a business lesson, right? Yeah, and I've got yeah. another example too I was talking <laughs> about. Um, this one lawn, they have a fenced-in backyard and um, we went and we were mowing their neighbors actually. We mowed the neighbors and then we came over to theirs and we're mowing the front lawn. Right. And then we were going to the backyard, which is fenced in. And um, so we, I had my trimmer open the fence and walked in the yard and the dog came and attacked him. Right. And I didn't think, I was like, why is there a dog in the backyard? We've been mowing the for same so day long. the whole year, right? You right. would expect. Yeah, yeah, that they would. And then, so they yelled at us because we like intruded in the backyard. Right. So yeah. I apologized and said that like we should have told them what day we were going to come. Right. But so that's a learning lesson for me that sometimes people want to know exactly when you're going to come, even as far as down to the time. And that's our obligation. It really is. And time's hard with our business and the service and stuff comes up. It Mm -hmm. takes you longer to get there or you're just not on the same schedule every time. But yeah, in that case, like, was that customer wrong? Probably. But whose responsibility is, is it to to take responsibility. Yeah. It's ours. We have to, you know, we have to take responsibility and then make improvements. Right. And how long is it really going to take to shoot out a text? Like, <clears throat> Hey, I'm going to be any here time. at 11 o'clock. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's a good learning point for me. I need to take that down because I struggle to do that sometimes, obviously, because my trimmer got right. attacked by talk. <laughs> so right. yeah. that's not good. Um, but anyways, let's, um, transition into, we'll talk about how, um, I want to learn about two what credit what credit cards you take how does yeah, that work so do you use a question. service for that i know for one yeah. of my businesses i use square so people can enter in their credit card and i can take right. payments directly online so do you take payments through the website yeah. do you have them en- do you enter the card number or do you shoot them a link that they can complete the invoice so that's go. a great question so with that um to go into depth on that you have to be very careful about how you how compliant you are to the rules and regulations that exist with accepting credit card payments. Mm. Um, so I've never even um, allowed people to type their information in online or anything like that because um, I just haven't wanted, um, I guess, the liability of something being hacked or taken that okay. that way. So yeah. the way that I've always done it, and from the very beginning, I mentioned that I um, got that merchant account. That first merchant account was just right through Chase. So okay. Chase has their own system, and that's how I process the cards. And I kept that in their vault, um, which was just, I said uh, that I didn't like allow the customers to enter their own information in online, but I entered it in online in that secure vault. Mm. So I knew that that customer, Sally Smith and her credit card were saved online in a secure file through Chase. And if anything happened to that information, that would be a liability of Chase's, not mine. So that's how I did it the first year. But then I... um, I'm a big believer in 
and giving business to the people that you know. So I had a, a personal friend of mine that was in the credit card processing business, and he sold me on using his platform. Mm. And that platform was um, such a time saver, allowed me to fish more efficiently charge my customers, save their info right in there, and I just had to pull up their name and put in the charge every okay. single time. So that second year, I had switched to this um, system called Beyond, okay. which is a third-party um, credit card provider. So they get your bank account info, they process the cards as their own third party, and then they process that money to your bank account. Okay. So it's kind of like a three point security there. Yeah. And are they on like a system where it charges you per transaction or like a monthly payment? Yeah. Like so I don't do subscriptions or monthly payments. It's all either prepayment. So you pray, uh, you pay before the service is done or you are charged after the service is complete. So a lot of this was manual. Like I didn't have it set up where it would just run a set charge every month. Um, I would actually have to go in there after each day was completed and then charge those customers. So that's how I build. Sorry, I might yeah. have made the question confusing. I was asking sure. about the beyond, how they how they oh. made money off of Oh, you. absolutely. So they took a percentage of each sale. It okay. was a very small amount. Okay. I like to say it's like like 0.1% or 0.3%. Gotcha. They would take off of each sale, and then at the end of the month, they they would bill you back for what they what they took. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And um, <laughs> did they have an invoicing service in the platform that you could email out or text out invoices? They did. Uh, they may have had that system. I never took advantage of that. I kind of created my own invoices just on Google Docs, and I think this goes back to a prior question you asked about. Um, systems, but all of my documents and contracts and service agreements and everything that I provided was all through Google Docs. Okay. So I just made templates for myself and then I continually um, use these things to like confirm service. So like when I sold a program, I would send them a confirmation of service with their name, address, exactly what I was going to do that year. And then my personal promise as a company. And I would send that out to them via email. So that was a template that I continue, continuously uh, use. So, you know, a big part of all this is getting that system set up. Doing all that work on the front end is going to save you so much time on the back end because then I sell a program. What do I do? Pull up that template, fill it in, send it out. And you just stay in that habit so that every customer is treated the same way. Gotcha. Um, so everything was on Google Docs. I had my own invoicing that I would customize on there and just send to people directly via email or if they wanted to print it, whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. And so ever, everything, okay. I guess you answered that question. Um, I do a lot of mine. I was going to touch on through text. Through text. Okay. And I don't know and if that's very special. That right yeah, but I yeah. can text it right out. I have a good relationship with pretty much all of my clients Right. that it's just a text basis and then they can... Some people yeah. prefer that because uh, it's just such an easy way to communicate. Right. So I think you can't go wrong with text or email as long as it's in writing. Okay. Yeah. Right. And um, <clears throat> when you'd send out that um, initial thing every year, is that when you'd offer that discount for the prepayment? Yes. That's okay. when I would actually, they, their um, offer for the prepay was all on the phone. So like anytime I was setting up service, I would call the person, explain mm. the program to them. And by explain it, I mean like, I'm selling the program, but I'm explaining. It's more of an uh, explanatory thing um, and kind of walking them through what products I'm using, when I'm going to use them, what results that produces on the phone. And then um, once we go through all of that, I get them to commit to the amount. Then I offer them the discount to prepay. 
that's their chance. That's their final, pretty much their final offer to do so. Gotcha. Now, if they if they contracted with me in December and then come March, they're like, hey, you know, I think I want to prepay. I want to take advantage of that five or ten percent. Well, then of course I would let them prepay. But once yeah. the season started, there were no more discounts at that point. Okay. Um, and I and I really didn't do a lot of sales through emails because. My experience is if I'm not closing that sale, it's not going to close. So if I send somebody an email, um, nine times out of 10, they're going to look at it and they're going to put it off because yeah. you have to understand how people operate. You have to get people to make a decision. That's what we're in this for. We're in it for decisions. I'd rather hear somebody say no than to somebody to not answer and to tell me three weeks later, I'm not interested. I just want to get a decision. So it's all about getting a yes or a no. So that's why I did everything over the phone. And it, you know, it was traditional sales. I'm going to tell you what my program is. Here's my price. Here's why you should invest in me and my company. And then here's your offer. And there was no emailing things out because you're just, you're not in my perspective, you're not going to successfully sell um, to the same extent as if you're on the phone or in person with somebody. Right. So every single beginning of season, do you call every <laughs> single client? Well, I don't need to call the existing clients because okay. they are technically in an auto renewal. So their prices mm. go up, adjust inflation, yeah. and then they're automatically renewed. I will touch base with all of them. Just once again, reminding them the additional services that I provide, like mulching and spring and fall cleanups and all the additionals that they're not required to do. Yeah. I will touch base with them every winter so I can start to formulate a schedule on that too. Um, and start to really see where my revenue and income is going to come from. But all those people are automatically renewed. If they do not want my service anymore, it's their responsibility to either uh, definitely in writing, but also to call me or text me and say, hey, we're going to discontinue service. So that in, uh, in itself saves me a lot of time when you're dealing with 100 plus people right. where they're automatically, you know, they're going to be back next season unless they um, notate otherwise. So then you can focus just on prospecting. Um, and you can kind of, you send them their new updated price, you send that out, um, that takes some time, but then you're really focused on growth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, let's touch base on, um, this experience that we've had with one of our clients, a collaboration client where we yeah. both do a fall cleanup for them and they just aren't respondent and aren't really like touching base with us right, right. to let us know if we should do the job. So I'll let you take it from here. So yeah, you, you bring up a good point with that because um, in that case, you can't expect that same communication from everybody. So in this particular example, um, this is a, a client with a lot of resources and quite the business themselves. And they need services like us to, in order to keep their property um, in the condition it needs to be to operate their business. Um, and we've had experiences doing work there and we've always done our, our hardest work, um, just like we do for everybody else. And what Hunter's touching on is the, the frustrating part um, of business when you do everything right and you somehow still don't have the communication you want out of that customer and you maybe don't get invited back when, right. you, when you, you think you should and you deserve to be. Mm -hmm. So in that case, all you can really do is just continue to try to provide um I guess, examples or an explanation of the quality of your service and to continue to be, to be persistent with that customer. Because we've had cases where we've reached out, haven't heard anything back, and then we reached out in a different way, like sending an actual piece of mail. And then we got the contract. So it just goes back to being persistent. 
Yeah. Um, but you have you have to learn, and we touched on this before. You have to learn these customers how they operate. Sometimes maybe they want to get something in the mail, so you got to send them something in the mail. So um, some customers, no matter what you do, they're always going to be shopping for a better deal in their head, um, and that's okay. That's just a part of being in business. Um, but it would be nice to get you know that repeat business back. And sometimes you can do everything the right way, and you won't get it back. Yeah, totally. And um, also, I know you'd agree with me on this, is it's better to to call early yeah. and prepare right. than just be, <clears throat> than them calling you like, hey, could you come and do this next week? I know you did it right. last year. Right. Like you just yeah. can't do that because you got to, you got to plan your schedule out yeah. and optimize it. And then sometimes they'll cancel on you. You got to figure it out and get them set in stone that you're doing it this day and whatnot. Because it goes I know, back to the organization that yeah. we were talking about earlier. Totally. Totally. Um, let's touch base on um, our community support and like um, giving back. So me and Tyler, um, these past, I believe, two three, years, three. I think we did it three years now. Okay. Yeah. yeah so we've done it three years. Um, we've done a client-based um, food drive. So uh, we reach out to all of our clients and um, ask if they could leave just non-perishable food items on the front porch. And then we donate them to a local food pantry um, by our house here in the community. And I think it's just super important for community support getting our name out there a little bit maybe but right. i just think if it feels good and it gets your customers involved to within your business and they see like how well attached to the community and you dedicated are. they yeah. see how dedicated you are to not only being a successful businessman but um contributing back to where the community that supports you yeah right totally and i think yeah i think it's important for any business to get involved <laughs> with the community I know um, I, when I started my lawn mowing business, um, I did a thing called Cutting for a Cause, or I still do it, where I donate a portion of the profits, so the Wisconsin Parkinson's Association. Right. And as a marketing scheme, it's kind of good to Cutting for a Cause, and it can onboard some people, but I honestly forget to say it to new customers. Sure, right. But in the which long should. run. Yeah, yeah, which I should, yeah. But after the season, I send like a good thing, and it's just heartwarming for me to send out that I'm doing something good. Right. And I think it's very good for the clients to see like you're not just a lawnmower that comes and mows the lawn and like that's the last thing they see of you. There's a human side yeah. to it too. Like this is the, right. the character and the person that I am. It's very important for them to see that. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I'm really glad that you brought that up. So to segue into that, um, yeah, I was really inspired to do that charity event. Um, I actually took from Hunter his um, cutting for a cause and seeing that and I said, wow, that's a great idea. How could we collaborate maybe together and do something else that um, really doesn't require that much effort uh, right. for people to do? It's such an easy way to contribute and to be um, a great uh, steward of the community. So I uh, created the idea for us to reach out to our customers, let them know that we were going to do a food drive where um, we were just going to have them place out non-perishables when we came to do our services. It's a little different because Hunter is there weekly, and some of these people I see about once a month or mm -hmm. maybe once every 25 days. Yeah. So we did this for about, I think, two months that we collected so that I could get through all of my customers. And we would just collect the bags of food, store them um, all together until we had the full amount. Um, we did that the first year. It was decently successful for the amount of customers we had. Yeah. Took that into the Sussex Outreach Center. Um, and they were just uh, blown away by our efforts. And it's it's not only, like Hunter said, um, 
just a great thing to do for the community, but makes your heart feel happy. And um, I think it's just an overall good thing, uh, a way to give back and like um, to show your blessings. And, you know, we're blessed to be entrepreneurs in a free country where um, we can dictate how um, our schedule is and, and how we operate our businesses. So the least that we can do is use that platform for good and to use that platform in a positive way. Um, and that carries a lot a, a, a long way. Yeah, like you said, it's so easy for people to just it's so easy. put right. out a non-perishable right. on your stoop. And yeah. We just collect it. Yeah. And we'll take what you have. If you have two cans of soup, we'll take that. If you have four bags or five bags, it's not even really necessarily about how much you give. It's just, did you participate? Yeah. You know? And we don't require anybody to do it, but um, overall, it's really cool, too, for your uh, emotional health and mental health, just to see, you know, whether or not, uh, bad things are going around, uh, or going on in the world. Look at what's going on right in front of you. The stuff that really doesn't get publicity. You don't see yeah. it on the news, the positive things, um, to be a young entrepreneur, to be involved with that and to see kind of the response that we got from the community and that there is a positive, um, outreach and care for other people is is just so humbling to see. Yeah, it's awesome. And I want to talk about a little bit more about like family and support systems. Yeah. Like I know my dad works in the field of Parkinson's and um, it's great to see that like my contribution or donation really does something and that people are grateful for it. Yeah, like, absolutely. We go right. in, I get to talk with the WPA and um, take pictures or whatnot, but that's all just for show. But it's right. really fun to get to see and talk with people I've also volunteered for a few of the um, Parkinson's events, get to talk with people and how much it, to see that Parkinson's disease affects people. Yeah, yeah. And that it really does something, even though it's a little bit amount that I contribute to it, it helps the support system and get families more aware of what's going on and stuff. And it helps me like get aware of how lucky I have it. Right. How and lucky I, do we have it yeah. to be where we are and or for the things that we have? And um, I can't agree with that more. Yeah, totally. Let's get, let's touch base on uh this is going to be a fun one. Unexpected roadblocks. Yeah, so you're going to have nothing but problems and being an entrepreneur really entails solving problems. Yeah. The better you are at solving problems, the more money you're going to make. And quicker that's, too. And quicker. And that's what we're in this business for and if it, you know, if you're uh not going to be resilient enough to take these problems head on, you won't last in any of the industries of self-employment. Yeah. Um, so personally, uh, if I rewind a little bit to the growth phase, so I had that first great year and I did it all on my own and I knew I wanted to double or triple the size of the company and I knew it was time to go all in. Um, so I just sold my mind out. I just sold as many programs as I could. Not sure if I could handle them or not. I just kept selling. Yeah. And I knew that in order to really grow, I was going to need to offer more services. So that's when I got into the fall, spring, fall cleanup, um, for or uh, just going away from just the furred and weed control and the aerations, but added services. So mulching, um, plantings, rock beds, everything, everything we could get my everything I could get my hands on, everything I could do, I took it on. I even took on things I, that I had no experience with. So in a in part of this, um, one of the big um, factors of being able to do this was friends and family. Uh, friends are some of the most, um, I have never employed anybody that's not a friend of mine. So yeah. I've been friends and it's been people that I've 1099. Um, and I've said, Hey, you know, this is an opportunity for you to put more money in your pocket somewhat 
on your own schedule and um it's fun i mean i get get my buddies to come help do a mulching project get a couple guys out there bunch of um wheelbarrows moving and get a job done quick everybody does a really good job works hard and everybody gets paid more than they should have been and i've always been generous in that because just how i knew if i took care of my customers they'd come back i knew if i took care of my friends they'd come back so i can't express like how important it is to have um i think friends and family contrary to a lot of the stuff circulating online are some of the best employees are going to have because they're truly um, invested in what you're doing. They want to see you succeed. I've got examples of um, some friends I'll touch on later that are instrumental to that. Um, but I never, I, I really don't believe that somebody outside of your influence of friends and family will have that same um, importance on the job that they're doing. And I've never really wanted to be a part of that um, at this phase of entrepreneurship yet. Yeah. So I've seen so, that you overcome those roadblocks by <clears throat> getting a support system, getting right. those people to help you. Right. Because some of the jobs are just too big for you to do on your They're own. They're just too big for you to do on your own. Right. Yeah. And um, so getting those people to help you out was what was instrumental in me growing the business because I could take on all these group projects and get these done. Um, but then uh, when it comes to roadblocks, you're going to have equipment breakdown. You're going to have your lawnmower breakdown. You're going to yeah. have um, issues with your products. And Problem solving it is not fun because what that equates for you and I is overtime, you know, so I went out all day and worked and now I got to go and spend several hours fixing this thing. And um, sometimes, uh, which has happened to me often, something will break down right in the field. So like you think you're going to go out and make money today. Oh, no, you're going to fix equipment today and make no money and waste your whole day doing it. And it's just a part of um, being in the business, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's why your maintenance and the stuff that nobody sees is the time you spend sharpening your mower blades or the time that I spend, um, you know, uh, cleaning my equipment or changing oil and all those sorts of things that are additional hours that people don't see that you're not making money. You're not going to succeed without doing those things. Mm -hmm. Um, so in, in my uh, experience, a lot of those problems, I got lucky that I have a father who's very mechanically inclined (laughs) and he's got the same thing that these guys are just so smart when it comes to um, problem solving and looking at a piece of equipment and taking it apart and rebuilding it and fixing things. Um, These are things that I go uh, above my knowledge. I'm a great entrepreneur. I'm a great salesperson um, and a a great advocate, but uh, I might not always be the most mechanical guy that's going to take apart a Skag lawnmower find out where the problem is and rebuild it. So you need people in your life that um, support you and can help you with those tasks. Um, And thankfully for us, we haven't had to pay too many third-party people to to fix our things. We fixed it in-house with the help of our our dads. So that was huge. Yeah, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of you that it's very grateful for that. We're so lucky. Yeah, so lucky. And um, I just want to touch base on something that you talked about a couple of sentences ago um, for the listeners. A 1099 is a form that you fill out for independent contractors who don't need to have employees. So um, for the same thing of our collaboration, um, we send each other 1099s. If I mow something for Tyler or if Tyler does fertilizer applications for one of my lawns, then I can just send him a 1099 and vice versa. So you don't have to have employees. It's more of an independent contractor base. Right. So then you don't have to pay anybody benefits and you kind of skirt around all those things, but you're able to legally still hire people. Correct. And yeah. it's more so used for um, if it's like 
not a recurring thing. Yeah. If you don't have them Great all point. summer. Yeah. Right. Great point. It's not a reoccurring. A 1099 is the perfect contract for somebody that's not going to constantly be working for you day to day. Yeah. It's more so a couple times or, you know, a, a not an ordinary frequent employee. Yeah. And you can do it to um other businesses like I would do a 1099 to Dairyland or you can do it to an individual. Right. So it can work either way. Yeah, it's a great resource and a great tool to utilize. Yeah, totally. Um, let's talk about, uh, I want to learn about a little bit more about the fertilizer process for people that are maybe wanting to learn about it. Sure. Or yeah. get into that business. Um, just talk about, lay out the step programs. I know I know a little bit about it because you've done some of the lawns that I mow. Right. So you've got like a five-step program, six-step program. Kind of lay out um, what those applications include. Like you're selling to me on the phone right now. So sure. So we'll do if, a walkthrough. Yeah. If I were to call you on the so phone, hey, June, yeah. <laughs> June, yeah. and that actually goes back to when we met uh, in, in the Stoneman, there was this one team where they were screaming Junior. So that's been a joke between the two of us for years. That's what we call each other. Um, so if I called Junior up on the phone and I was going to sell him a lawn care program, um, the first thing that I would do is kind of establish my professionalism and, um, I guess a status per se okay. and to show your, your knowledge. So I would, um, begin and say, you know, the, um, my program is a sex or is a six step program. Um, and it begins with a fertilizer application. Uh, and then I would explain why and the science behind it. So I use a granular fertilizer. It's a slow release product. So it feeds your lawn over time. Okay. Um, so I put this down at the beginning of the season to help it, the lawn out of dormancy and to um, provide consistent nourishment and growth to that to the grass. Mm. So you just kind of go through and you explain each step. So the way my program works is um, you start with a granular fertilizer um, that's going to be high in nitrogen and iron. That's what gives you that sharp click of a green in the spring okay and you can really tell who's treating their lawn and who's not even though everything greens up this is going to green up that much more and that much sharper you get that definition Mm -hmm. um and that's going to last you know long lasting over 60 to 90 days so you know three months where it's continually feeding that grass slowly over time just a little bit every day because if you took your uh, or if you went on a vacation you left your pets here would you provide them one big bowl for 30 days and expect that to last? Or would you have somebody come over and continuously feed that pet? Mm, You'd have to have somebody to come and feed the pet continually so that they're getting the right amounts. They're not consuming too much at once. And that's the science behind it. And um, you get what you pay for. So if you invest in a higher quality product, you're going to get a higher quality result. So that's how the program starts um, for everything uniform. And then you do what's called a blanket spray in the second application. So you spray the entire square footage of the grass. And by the way, you did you fertilize the whole square footage as well. So you, okay. you, uh, you spray with pesticides the entire square footage of the grass in a blanket spray. So you're spraying every inch of that lawn. And you're spraying it for some of those early active weeds. Um, that's going to be like your uh, clover, your dandelions are usually the first ones to come out. Um, so you're going to spray that entire lawn because what that's going to do is your fertilizer is still feeding by the time you get there for that second app. Now you're killing weeds off. So now the grass, um, you have to think about kind of like one of those mesh things that you put down 
as a barrier for weeds in a mulch bed, the grass is getting so much thicker in the root system, it blocks the weeds out from growing. So that's why you're going to do that fertilizer first, then you're going to blanket spray and try to eradicate everything. You're going to do this a third time in the third application. So you're going to spray the entire square footage again. And this time you're going to use a, a preventative for crabgrass because that's a warm season um, invasive grass is going to start coming once the summer gets hot. So you're going to get a pre-emergent down for that too to try to ensure that it's not going to come through in the summer. So that's halfway through your season. You've already fertilized. You've sprayed blanket sprays twice. And so as uh, the company, as the owner of the company, I've already invested a lot of money. I've sprayed um, these lawns to the full extent. So you're getting a price and it's getting broken down over six visits. I might profit less off, off the first three visits. Mm, and then I start to profit more on the back end um, because that first fertilizer, it's all about the rate that you put it down. So I'm putting it down at a higher rate per square footage to get that growth started. Yeah. Um, so those first three applications are the highest investment for me, but it all balances out over the season because then I start to make more money as the rates come down and the amount of product comes down. So, um, if you fast forward to visit four, now you're kind of like into the midsummer, you're going to replenish that fertilizer. So you're going to fertilize again, but you're going to drop the rate and you're going to drop the amount of nourishment that you're putting down. So that product is cheaper. Um, but it's still that high grade product. Um, so you're going to put that down and then you're going to do what's called the spot spray. Now that you've eradicated weeds on the full property twice, you shouldn't have that many weeds left, but they kind of are, are cyclical too. They follow cycles of when they grow the best in the summer, when it gets hot, the grass kind of, um, thins out because it's stressed. Kentucky bluegrass, what we have here in Wisconsin and perennial rye does its best in the cool springs and the cool falls that's when it grows the best in the in the middle it gets stressed and that's why people who don't water your lawn gets yellow it goes dormant it's so stressed out that it literally goes dormant like it would in the winter mm -hmm. so that middle of the summer application i have been feeding that lawn the whole time i've sprayed it twice now i'm going to uh, re-emerge and reintroduce more nourishment i'm going to kill the weeds that have made it through or just recently popped up now that it's stressed um the fifth visit, I'm strictly going to do a spot spray of weeds. So you can see where my company is going to profit so much more due to my hard work, due to the products I've used. It's not like you're, um, you're cheaping out on people, but it's a more natural approach because you've invested um, a heavier use of the product at the beginning of the season. And now you're letting the lawn fight it naturally by, by inducing that growth. So by that fifth visit, all you should need is a is a spot spray to come around and kind of clean up those weeds again. And you've got specific weeds like Creeping Charlie and Wild Violets that are starting to come back at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. So you go and treat those. Um, and then your sixth and final application is just a granular fall fertilizer. So you're going to end the year the same way you started um, with high nutrients and you're going to help that lawn really blow up and grow again into the fall and get ready for the harsh winter when it goes dormant. Okay. So I'm just going to lay out, um, equipment that you possibly would needing if you started up this business. 
first application ATB push behind would work yeah, for that. Yeah, either uh, you could either if you were going to start cheaply, like I said, you could start with some sort of an ATV or a zero turn mower, okay. and then put the attachments onto it. If you wanted to invest big time, you could buy a machine that's actually made just for treatment. So it's got yeah. a weed control tank and a fertilizer spreader and you drive it around just like a zero turn and do your applications that way okay so like the way i did it as i um, highlighted before as i started cheap just used a fertilizer cart manually and walk the lawns you can do it that way too so yeah equipment wise you need a fertilizer spreader of some sort okay. and you need some sort of a way to spray weeds whether that's a mobile machine that allows you to broadcast it um, sometimes backpack sprayers yeah. just to spray weeds when you're doing the spot sprays, right. um, or, uh, a very traditional way to do it is a hose and reel where you've mm. got a big weed control tank on the back of your truck. Personally, I don't use this formula, but you could do this is you could have a big weed control tank on the back of the truck with the hose that you pull, you walk the lawn and spray it with a wand, and then you reel it back up and it's all attached to your truck. And you, you mix and load right in that truck. Gotcha. Yeah, I've so, seen that. So that's one way to do it. But I personally was like, if I can get a machine and I can ride around on a machine, that's going to be the most effective way to do these lawns quicker and at the same quality. Yeah. So I believe in investing in a machine where you can do it um, and you, you can maneuver around on the machine rather than walking it by hand. You know, plus you're not going to have enough hose to do some of the bigger lawns. Right. So I'm mixing and loading a lot of the, the chemicals for the weed control um, all myself. It's just mixed with water. And I'm doing that on the job sites. Well, you know, to start the day, but then on the job sites as well. Okay. And where do you source this um, fertilizer and pesticide from? Yeah. So I used a supplier called uh, Site One. It's based in Pewaukee and they're like uh, an international or a national supplier of these products. So they are an intermediary of the, the Lesco products that I use. Um, Site One is a supplier or an intermediary that supplies these products. So they buy it from Lesco at a specific price and then they mark it up and sell it to guys like me. Okay, so Lesco is what you use and you get it from Site One. Yes, correct. Okay. And do you buy in bulk at the beginning of the season or do you buy throughout the season? I know you got so many jobs and might not have a place to store all right. this stuff. That's another good question. So now I have the means to store the products, but um, I would suggest buying it in bulk if you know that there's going to be an economic reason to do so. So if you know that prices are going to go up and you can get all of your products for the year at a specific price, once you're, you know, into the business after a couple of years and you've got capital, I would see nothing wrong with that, but I've always just continued to follow that the basic um, cyclical cycle of just buy when I need. So when I need a fertilizer, I go pick all of it up, take it to my, um, to my uh, garage or warehouse. And then once that product expires, um, if I need more, I'll go get more, but then I go and move on to the next round. So then I go get the weed control I need kind of as I go. And I've always felt that that's a great way to keep a cash flowing business yeah. is to not over invest and, um, buy, you know, too many products that you don't need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, where did you learn all this? Did you learn it from school uh, I know a lot of my stuff that I've learned, I've done um, like just self-learning, yep. YouTube, reading, talking to people. Um, so I'll let you vent about that, where you learned all this information about how many applications do. I know you learned yeah. that from obviously, I guess maybe a lot you to learn from Weedman, but right. I'll let you vent. Go ahead. Yeah. So that whole program was developed by a um, 
person at Weedman who studied turf sciences. So he spent 10 years in school uh, studying dirt. I'm very <laughs> glad that he had that obligation and not me because I'm not sure how he made it through that. Uh, maybe he was um, finding some worms in the dirt or maybe, something yeah. to keep him <laughs> occupied. But um, oh, he studied uh, the science of soil for 10 years and developed that program. So that is the program that I adopted because um, I think it would be foolish to try to create my own when I am not the one who studied it. So I adapted those um, formulas and I believe that's the most effective way to treat. Okay. Gotcha. Let's um touch base on, I know, I know this story. Um, maybe some people, they know you wouldn't know about it, but let's um touch on like how you did that, like kind of side contracting for that other business um, where you did some mowing for them. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's another opportunity for a young um, business owner as you're growing and you're in that growth stage and kind of how I alluded to, I was doing anything I could to get new business. And one of the things that I did um, was subcontract business um, from another company. Now, this can go either very positively for you or very negatively. For me, looking back, I think it was a good learning lesson, but I don't think it was a good um, business decision. Um, so I ran into a, an owner of a much larger company, and we tried to mutually benefit each other. I would refer them um, business that I did not uh, consume. So like snow removal, I would send him my contracts. He would take those. He could actually provide them that service. And then he would compensate me for that. Um, and then in the same way, he had a need to get some of his crew members back on some of the larger projects he was doing. So he was willing to give me some of the lawns that he mowed and to have me mow them at a reduced rate because they were his customers. Now, like I said, this can go either great in your favor or um, not so well. And I did profit off of this ordeal, but I would go back to the point of um, if you can obtain more business for yourself, that's always better than taking somebody else's business mm -hmm. um, unless you've got a really sweet setup. So in that particular setup, um, I definitely think it was it was a good learning um, experience. But w when you look at it this way, I shouldn't have been spending two out of the five work days um, of the week for somebody else's business, even though I had my own cuts mixed in there with it. Um, I should be focusing on building my business and uh, not, you know, influencing somebody else's to be successful. Mm -hmm. So that, that would probably be my best um, synopsis on that ordeal. Yeah. And then it got you back into your realm of um, just focusing on the weed applications or fertilizer right. in general. Go, go to back to what you know. Do what you know yeah, and it, stick to what you know. And right. then you're able to do some bigger jobs too with um, fall cleanups and mulching and stuff. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so it kind of opened you up. It was a good opportunity, but it strayed you away from what you knew best. Exactly. It brought you back to it brought you back to that focus. Yeah. Right. So maybe it wasn't the best idea for some yeah. people like explore the opportunities. Explore, right. Explore. Yeah. And there was financial gain there. Absolutely. Yeah. But there could have been more financial gain if I obtained that business for myself. Right. No, totally. All right. What else you got? I got uh, one more question for you if you don't got anything for me. Uh, we'll carry on with your question and okay. then I could kind of just segment off on some other things I've thought about throughout the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, we'll get into it. I want to ask um, all my guests um, to end with this question. What advice would you have for a young entrepreneur? And um, I also want to mention too that we're gonna, that me and Tyler are going to do a part two on just real estate. Um, so we'll do that in a part two separate time, but I'm super interested to learn about that. And um, I'll let you talk about 
advice that you have for young entrepreneurs and yeah, business owners? That's a great question, Hunter. And I think the best advice that the two of us could ever give to somebody is um, to be persistent. And what I've covered so many times is just to continue to be in love with your learning. So continue to uh, grow through your learning. And um, the best way to learn is actually to make mistakes. And kind of like what we just covered, I never would have known about subcontracting had I had not done it. And then I found out that um, in that particular situation, it just didn't suit me in the best way. So um, be in love with your craft. And if you have a passion um, and you see a way to make money through that passion, give it a shot. Um, if you are ready you know, for, for the dedication that's going to come along with that, because it comes with a higher responsibility. You don't get to clock in and out. It becomes your life and it's your identity. And that's one of the things that, um, at some points I've, I've struggled with, but I've learned to enjoy that identity and learned that, um, I don't think I could really go back to uh, a normal per a per se a normal life uh -huh. after um, this expenditure because I just enjoy and love the process. I love being in control of the results. I actually do like the pressure of that and everything that comes with it, and it comes with great responsibility. So for any young entrepreneur out there, um, you need to find mentors and people that will help you grow and are responsible for your growth. Um, because that is going to be instrumental to your success. Every single successful person has a mentor. Um, so I think finding a mentor is very important. Um, you might ask me, well, how do I find a mentor? Well, have your eyes and your ears open and ask questions. And most of the mentors I've uh, come across, and I would say I've, I have um, probably five or six trusted mentors for all different types of things in life. Um, all of them, I've come across them because I've impressed them with um, my fortitude and um, my ambition and work ethic, but just asking questions. I mean, one of my mentors, and we'll cover this particular one in our real estate segment, awesome. um, where I was actually texting him probably more than his wife does. <laughs> so I just wouldn't leave this guy alone because yeah. I was that hungry to learn. Um, and that persistence is actually something that a mentor figure is going to enjoy. And that's um, why they enjoy helping you is because they want to see you grow and they love to see that ambition. Mm -hmm. um, so to be a successful entrepreneur, you must be a student. Um, you must be constantly trying to improve yourself. Um, and you've got to be ready to take a journey that's going to change your life forever because you're going to be responsible for uh, everything and it's all going to come down to you. And I think if you take that journey and you're able to succeed, um, my favorite part about it is that I feel like it gives you the greatest purpose of being here in, in this, in this life. And, um, I guess I would say it gives you a reason to enjoy life and it makes, it makes it purposeful for me. Yeah. So I enjoy the challenge. And, um, if you are looking to be an entrepreneur, I just encourage you to just give it your best opportunity to follow some of the, um, some of the advices, pieces of advice I've given about doing it as cheaply as you can and your systems and your learning and your growth. Um, you, you just have to follow, follow the, the path of the people that have done it before you and then use your creativity to really take those strides to make you different. And, and um, that's what's going to push you to, to your success. Yeah. And through that con continuous learning, you're never going to learn if you never fail. Exactly. That's another thing that right. I've learned is I would have not known 
so much stuff that I know now. If if you didn't fail, yeah, yeah, the mishaps and the failures are what really grow you into the person that you are. Yeah, and continue your learning through business, through everything. I mean, like failures are always where you're gonna learn. Right. Like, I mean, winning is awesome, but you don't learn as much as the failures. The exactly. Failures are what make you yeah. who you are. Right. And I think having an attitude where um, you can't be a, a person that's gratified instantly. Um, I think I see a lot of that in the society that we live in now. It's all about this fast moving and fast gratification. And you think about um, your Instagram reels and your TikToks, oh, yeah. and those are stimulating um, quick gratification. To be a great entrepreneur, um, it sounds very uh, uh, cynical, I guess you could say, but you should really, you should. You should take time to be proud of your accomplishments, but you shouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about it because you don't want to be gratified. A, a true entrepreneur is going to always feel like they're not enough, yep. to always feel like there's another step and just to keep pushing. And it gets to this point where it becomes obsessive with bettering yourself and being a better version of yourself. If you get to that point, I would say it's impossible to fail as an, as an entrepreneur. You just have to keep... Um, pushing yourself and to never get caught in the moment and just continue to think about what's next. And in a way, I, I think that's a good way to live life because it keeps you humble and it keeps you focused. Yeah. And totally um, surround yourself. Mm -hmm. I was just going to bring up that I know you repost a lot of stuff that's all Absolutely. entrepreneurs. Yeah. I know right. You, you love to yeah. indulge in the content that's focusing on what you want to be yes. in the future. Right. So I just want to bring that up because I know a lot of people are just scrolling on TikTok and just looking at that garbage. Of, yeah, garbage. Right. Yeah. right. You need to surround yourself with who you want to be. Yeah. First thing, people that you want to be like. Exactly. And people right. that aren't going to drag you down. And second thing, you can't be looking at all the crap that's going to drag you down or even at the flashy people. Right. Why? Because it's not real. Yeah, it's, it's not, not real. real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to segue uh, more into what Hunter just said is um, there are different types of mentors. So there's like first contact or like people that you are actually in contact with and you can call them and talk to them, physically see them. Um, those are, that's one um, particular example of a mentor, but there's also mentors now in the Asia we live on the internet. Yeah. People like, um, like for this podcast, for instance, we're trying to share with you um, principles that have helped us succeed. So that's a form of mentorship. But mm -hmm. there's also um, in those things like TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff, positive influences like David Goggins, certain people that are just mentally tough to the bone and inspire you. Yeah. So if you're going to consume content like that, um, your brain is a very uh, for formidable thing. So like the things that you consume and prioritize is what your brain is really focused on most. So if you are an obsessive person about being successful, you should follow other people that are successful um, so that you can basically train your brain and learn from people that are like-minded. Yeah. yeah. And then having, you know, support system like other uh, young entrepreneurs like Hunter and um, he's really the first young entrepreneur that I've ever worked with. Um, and then you, you start to meet others in different fields and, um, you get, you form special relationships with these people, um, because you got, you, you understand the path that you're on. So having friends like that is, is huge too. And, yeah. um, something that you would never, uh, would, would ever be the same without. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I also, just before we wrap this up, um, you talked about some of like the downsides, like if equipment breaks down, sure. that you yeah. got to work overtime. I also want to talk about some of the upsides because you could apply that same thing of like equipment breaking 
to an upside, like where you could take a vacation for a week and then you're working overtime. Right. So you right. could apply like that downside, the thing's broken, you got to work overtime and then you could take a vacation and then be overtime. Whereas with a traditional job, you're really not allowed to do that unless you have PTO or time off. Right. Um, yeah. So it's a blessing and a curse because yeah. um, you are responsible for your schedule. And a lot of people have the misconception that as an entrepreneur, that um, you just have all this free time to blow mm. and to go on trips. It's not like that. Um, your work is is always a priority over your life. And that's kind of when I went back to identity. It becomes your identity. Work is, yeah. is your identity. And people start to see you as um, a representative of that company. And they organically bring it up to you. They ask you, how's your business? Um, are you doing this or that? Blah, blah, blah. You get a lot of questions about your business rather than how are you doing? How, how is your um, mental mindset right now? And stuff like that. People kind of overlook that about you. Yeah. So you become that business even though you have your own separate identity. Right. Um, so the good things about it are like, yeah, being able to control. Um, so like, let's say you have a passion, for instance, for me, it's bow hunting. So I can set up my schedule and work harder through Monday through Thursday, then take off and go bow hunting all weekend and disappear to the woods. And I have that control. Um, So having that control over your life is such a great um, benefit of being an entrepreneur. And then it's just being able to take um, more vacations. So like um, people think like, oh, you know, in a way we're working really, really hard, but I feel like I take more vacations as an entrepreneur than I could as an employed person. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Because, you know, like for instance, uh, the last two years, um, so not this summer, but the summer prior, I went on a, a trip with my friends to Florida for a week. Then I worked for three weeks. Then I went on a trip to Arizona with my family. Yeah. So I was on two trips, actually two, only two weeks in between. So I took two trips in the month of August and I still um, had more income in that month than most nine to five jobs are paying you for a monthly income. So yeah. I was able to do both. And my life was was hell those two weeks. Yeah. And I was working like the second I got home from Florida on a Sunday, I started cutting lawns. I started mm-hmm. working all Sunday, um, just worked around the clock all week the next two weeks until that next vacation. But it can be done. So um, I've taken a lot of, of awesome trips family and friends, um, experienced, you know, different places of, of the country and, um, continue to go down to Florida every year in the winter, especially. And, um, you know, you get a lot of opportunity for good things too, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to a bad, there's great days in entrepreneurship and those are really great. And then there's bad days and those are really bad. Mm -hmm. And when stuff breaks down and your day is ruined, um, those days aren't too great. But in the end of the day, you have a lot more good days than bad days and it all really balances itself out. Totally. Yeah. Well, we went on a little bit of a rant after that last question I asked for the wrapping up the podcast. So let's wrap it up. Junior. Junior. So much a, fun. Yeah, it was a pleasure being on here. Um, if I could close with uh, just a segment, a quick segment about the lawn care company. Yeah, but of course. A lot it. of people don't even know this, but when I started it that first year, um, I took a job at a restaurant serving too. So I worked um, for my business Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturdays, and then I would go to the bar after Uh, The workday was complete Thursday through Sunday. So I was literally working seven days a week. So um, I would contribute uh, a lot of the success that I had was resilience. Just, I mean, not a lot of people are going to be able to do something like that. So I knew that I had a goal in mind. I was going to do whatever it took to get there. 
and I was able to prevail and making that decision to prevail was the best decision I ever made. Because once I made it over the hump of that um, difficult period, I was able to to support that business and grow it. And now three years later, um, the size and scale of the business at you know a six-figure operation is something I never would have dreamed of three years ago um, when I started it. So mm-hmm. um, never give up on your dreams and your dreams will continue to change as an entrepreneur and you'll segue into different things. Um, but the, the great part about it is that you're in control of your destiny. So it was a blessing to be on this podcast, talk a little bit about my business, segment a little bit into him. Maybe we'll have to come back on and have me um, switch roles and interview Ooh, him so that you guys can hear about his business as well because he's got um, quite the business going as well and actually multiple businesses. But um, yeah, just we're, we're blessed and uh, it's a blessing to sit in front of you guys and kind of give out some of our secrets and um, show you how we succeeded. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, so I'm looking great. forward to the real estate one. Yeah, me too. And thanks for fun. having me on. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming. Tyler Vandermolen with uh, Dairyland Property Management, Hunter Pirock, Turf Lake Country. Great podcast. Yeah. yeah. We'll leave all the stuff in the descriptions for both of our stuff so you can check out our businesses, um, our social medias and whatnot. But uh, thanks for tuning in to Innovation Illuminated, and we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. Perfect. Dude, that was sick, Junior. That was fun. Yeah, that was awesome. I wonder how long.